This week on the Back Table Podcast. You know, one of the hardest things that you change in life is culture change. Culture change is very hard because people have been doing some something in one way for a very long time and they have no effects and you can't measure the effects right away uh, and you don't see the harmful effects because they're invisible and odorless and tasteless like we talked about. And some of the... Uh, you know, setting up radiation shields and things like that can take just a little bit of an effort, and there's some cost to some of these things. But, um, you know, once you explain to people and educate them about the risks and the benefits and how this is, this is an occupational safety issue, this is a win-win-win situation uh, in my mind because it's a win for the staff, it's a win for the physicians, it's a win for the patient. Welcome to the Back Table Podcast, which is committed to all things IR and endovascular. If you're a new listener, welcome. To our regular listeners, welcome back and thank you for listening. You can find all previous episodes on Spotify, iTunes, or pretty much anywhere else you get your podcast. We're always looking for ways to do this better, so please leave us a review on iTunes or reach out to us directly via email or Twitter and let us know how we can improve. This is Michael Barraza returning as your host. To begin, I'd like to thank our sponsor for today's episode, RadPad. RADPAD was developed by physicians for physicians, providing clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD radiation protection systems for all your fluoro-guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information. Contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap, and let them know you heard about it on the Backtable podcast. Today, we're talking about radiation protection, which is obviously critical for all procedural specialists that use fluoroscopic guidance. Joining me today is Dr. Mina Macquery, an interventional radiologist at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. I should point out that Dr. Macquery has no financial relationship with our sponsor, RADPAD. Mina, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. And it's, uh, it's a real honor being on back table, having the opportunity to uh, discuss this important topic with you and, uh, I'm a huge fan of the podcast, so thank you again for for this opportunity. Thank you. We appreciate that. And I don't know if you noticed, but I said the Ohio State University, like the football players. I, I think that's important in Columbus. That is extremely important. I'm, uh, more, more reasons why I'm on the podcast. Mina, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you guys are, are clearly doing something right over there, and you're, you're really producing a lot of interesting research uh, on a lot of different important topics. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, uh, I, I did pursue a lot of topics because um, and there's a lot of different, you know, the, it's very exciting. Our specialty is, is a very exciting point right now. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, we have a new uh, residency program that is, is thriving. We have, uh, you know, our areas, our uh, procedures are growing and we're doing imaging and imaging guidance in a lot more areas now. So there is a huge opportunity in IR to explore um, and develop new new techniques and new uh, uh, areas of uh, interest. So I'm, I'm very uh, grateful that, for your feedback, and uh, uh, I'm glad somebody's reading them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of papers that I saw. I was like, oh, I know that paper. I've read that. Uh, well, so as, as busy as you've been with so many different interests, how and why did you start looking at radiation exposure and protection? So um, radiation safety has become one of my passions of recently. And um, 
uh, I basically, you know, my early interest started as a trainee and learning about physics and radiation safety and then um, working through our department and, you know, several other areas, uh, including pediatric hospital, community hospitals, uh, working in IR and diagnostic radiology and in vascular surgery and even cardiology. I've noticed that uh, like, you know, there's a saying that all politics is local. I feel like all radiation safety is local. And um, it depends on us, actually, um, whether you're the physician, the attending physician or the resident in the room, um, you're the one that called, falls on your shoulders to educate your staff, your, 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 uh, your patients and, 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 you know, do uh, take a leadership role in the department and uh, in the procedure. And I feel that, um, you know, radiation safety is something that's extremely important more than any of, of the other dangers, occupational or, or health related or anything we, we get exposed to because, you know, if you think about it, it's, uh, you know, radiation is, is colorless, tasteless, uh, odorless. You don't see the effects right away. So it's very easy to get complacent. And, you know, we can, we're all very well trained in radiation safety and we've had training in it and learning about the physics, but uh, it doesn't always translate to to real life. So that once I kind of I opened my eye and started learning about this and the real effects of it and reading more and my real clinical experience, I've began to notice that this is something that we need need to pay more attention to. So uh, you know, we all had to memorize all those dose limits and, and various event thresholds for board prep, and I think it's easy to confine it to that. Uh, just kind of something to memorize and forget. But you know, when you're looking at this as a real occupational hazard. What are some of the real life risks to operators that we're learning about as, you know, image guided procedures have skyrocketed? Well, the thing is, Mike, is that the radiation uh, doses generally in, in, in image uh, guided procedures are considered low. Uh, but the key is not necessarily, you know, the threshold numbers. The, the new work, and it's not even that recent, it's been, the studies have been done for a while, but it's more evidence recent, uh, recently has, has shown that, um, there are significant effects of chronic low-dose radiation exposure. So basically, you could, uh, you know, get your badge uh, numbers and you can look at everything and you've never meet, you know, the, the limits, but you're still at a huge risk. So I think conventional dosiometry really fails to account for all the biological consequences of radiation exposure for our procedures. And um, in terms of risks, uh, you know, the conventional wisdom or the conventional things that we know about is, you know, brain cancer. And there's been studies showing that there is more brain cancer left-sided. So it makes sense because it's closer to the side of the uh, uh, radiation. And interestingly, a lot of the studies showing the tumors that interventionalists get are uh, radiosensitive brain tumors. So that's more evidence that these are the types of tumors that happen from radiation and in the right location. Uh, and they're higher incidence than in controls. Um, other things, you know, higher incidence of skin cancer, thyroid, head and neck, breast, hematologic cancers, including non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and multiple myeloma is another area. Uh, another risk is uh, cardiovascular risk. So there is higher incidence of stroke and atherosclerotic disease, uh, particularly in the carotids. Um, there are studies showing that uh, there is uh, leukocyte and endothelial cell uh, telomere length shortening. So the telomeres are uh, part of the DNA that shows, uh, you know, when they're shortened is evidence of accelerated aging, for example. Um, there is findings. There's another study that I showed that showed evidence of chronic inflammation and increased uh, cytokines in, in staff that's in, involved in the uh, image-guided or fluoroscopy-guided procedures. 
they also showed higher risk of hypertension, hypercholesteremia. Uh, obviously, the other risk that we all know about is developing risk of cataracts. Uh, newer studies have also showed uh, decreased memory, particularly visual memory and short-term memory, and verbal fluency. Um, there's also higher frequency of uh, chromosomal abnormalities and uh, DNA breaks in uh, peripheral leukocytes. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, you can wear your lead vest, but your arm and your legs are really still exposed to radiation. And um, they've done a study where they, they looked at uh, vascular surgeons that are doing EVARs, and they showed that they, they have high risk of DNA breaks in their peripheral sites, uh, uh, lymphocytes, compared to the other uh, physicians. Um, so the thing is, that, like I said, these are effects are not really necessarily related to dose thresholds, but to a function of the cumulative dose over one's lifetime. And um, the studies, the, some of the studies have actually stratified it show that the physicians um, are higher risk compared to the technicians and nurses. And the other uh, risk where this is, comes in is if you work uh, uh, long uh, long work history. So they said in, in one study, they said more than 16 years was a risk. So basically there's no amount that's safe and chronic low dose is, is, uh, is what we need to be aware of. Mina, uh, generally speaking, do you think that radiation safety gets enough exposure? Like, are we taking this seriously enough both within our specialty and in the medical community at large? I don't think we, we are. Uh, I think there's a lot of good work that has been done, and a lot of people are aware of it. But I think um, it's a it's a work in progress because, you know, the traditional knowledge is if you meet these levels, then you're fine. If you don't meet these levels, you're fine. But with the new studies showing that actually it's there's no amount that's safe, uh, in my opinion, based on what the evidence that's out there, and there's many studies showing that chronic low dose radiation exposure is very uh, uh, harmful for for uh, physicians and staff. Um, with that in mind, uh, you know I think there is a lot more room that we need to do. I, I read a recent commentary by Dr. Murphy in JVIR. Um, from, he's a physician from Toronto and expert in this topic, and he he's doc, he talked about this, and he even said, and I really like his wording because he said that this is not a matter of wearing, you know, heavier lead or, or this or that. It's actually a matter of occupational safety and, and the conversation needs to change. Um, so the more I, I learned about this, the more I've became, uh, you know, the more I realized how serious this is. And I think there is room to, there's a bigger room for us to work on this, not just IRs, but, uh, you know, cardi- cardiology, vascular surgery, other physicians that use uh, radiation in their procedures. So once you learned about this, start investigating all of this and, and how important it is, you know, what kind of changes did you make individually as an operator? So uh, I uh, began to take, you know, the, the traditional uh, uh, precautions more seriously. So um, things that we can always do here, number one is uh, Alara, as we all know. So uh, intermittent fluoroscopy more often, minimizing the pulse rate for standard fluoroscopy, um, minimizing the frame rate for DSA and subtraction, um, collimating as much as I can, avoiding magnification if, if possible, using the last image hold uh, rather than you know a new fluoro. Um, standard, very easy to do uh, approaches that we can use. Um, the other thing is a lot of the radiation is coming from backscatter. So 
you know, stepping back as far as I can, not getting as close as I can if I have to. Um, angulating when you angulate the tube for oblique views, I, I tend to angulate it towards the operator so the back scatters away if I can. Um, using shielding is very effective and, and helpful, but not enough. But uh, one of the things, obviously, is aprons. Uh, I, I, I use a, I wear a um, lead cap now. I uh, didn't, I didn't used to wear that in the past. Uh, obviously, thyroid shields I wear every time. Uh, table shields, uh, and then with the table shields, you know, there's the regular table shield, but there's also a mounted side shield that uh, I know that we had, but we didn't always use because sometimes it's not as convenient. But now I use it in every case, and I make it work, or almost every case. Um, there is obviously the uh, uh, a new thing that I introduced also, and we can talk about that later, is the uh, uh, radiation attenuation drapes, which are very, very important as well. And then, um, you know, overall, also, you got to monitor the dose. But like I said, it's usually if you do everything, it's going to be low. Uh, so we should not, you know, that shouldn't be, a, 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 you know, a way for us to get complacent about this. Um, I, the way I look at it, I think it's a win-win uh, for us and for the patients. So, uh, for example, you know, when you, um, when you collimate, you actually get improved uh, image contrast uh, and you get improved quality. So that actually, it's, a, it's an ultimate win-win situation. You get better imaging and you get um, less radiation. One of the problems I've run into uh, very frequently in Tennessee are, are very large patients and particularly for you know, procedures that take longer than uh, you know, like a dialysis catheter, I'm finding myself hitting institutional dose limits like way earlier than I expected. How do you typically approach those cases? So um, this is a very, very good question because, you know, you try to minimize the dose as much as you can, but there's cases that you have to. So the things that I would do is, um, you know, using the standard, you know, protection methods that we talked about, but also, you know, angulating the tube uh, intermittently, um, trying to, uh, you know, stage the studies if you can. And this is also for the patient uh, benefit because of the skin risk of skin burns and stuff like that. Um, trying also to, one of the things that we do as good interventional radiologists that we study the pre-procedural imaging to help us. But I think also the, you know, now I spend a lot of time, you know, trying to understand the anatomy and and putting a mental framework because when I'm in the room, it's, it's showtime and I want to be in, in and out as efficient and as safe as I can. So don't be afraid to, you know, if you have a, a dialysis patient that you are concerned about risk of central obstruction, getting a CT venogram, I, I would argue that it's low dose enough and it can save you uh, radiation and, uh, you know, plan, help plan for your procedure for the patient. So that's something I rely on more frequently now as well. Mina, let's change course for a minute. Uh, I'd like to have you tell me a bit about uh, your radiation protection initiatives that you um, directed at your own institution. Like, How did you start this and what were your goals? So my goals were to improve radiation protection in, in, in my department, in my institution. Um, and this is not to say that we had bad radiation protection to start with. We had excellent radiation protection. We had a lot of resources. But like I said, I feel like a lot of it's culture-driven and physician-driven. And I wanted to improve you know, the radiation safety and the culture. And to do that, I, it's Part of its education and part of it is, you know, discussing different things that we can do in a quality improvement initiative. So um, I always have, all, you know, part of my uh, pre-procedural check-in 
you know, we, we have a sign-in process. We talk about the procedure, allergies, prepping the patient, what tools we have. And part of my procedural uh, uh, plan is radiation safety. So I will say for this patient, uh, yes, we're going to use all the shields or we'll prep this and open that or, you know. And I try, I educate my my um, my techs and my staff and my trainees that I'm going to use as much radiation safety as much as possible every single case. So whether it's a line, you know, and it's something that's going to take, you know, a very short procedure in and out, it doesn't matter. I treat every single procedure the same, whether it's a tips or a line, I look at it the same because it's cumulative, it's low dose, and it doesn't matter. And you can start with a small case that might end up being bigger. So obviously, you know, this is a bit of a culture change because you have to prep a shield, you have to open things, and that can you know, a little bit more work, but I, I, it's negligible compared to the benefits, obviously. Um, so the first, you know, like I said, just culture change for our department. We're going to use all our resources and we're going to optimize that and educate our young techs and staff that why this is important and it's for the benefit of everybody. And then the next thing that, um, you know, looking at our resources and what we have, um, one of the things that I felt would be helpful to have is a, a radiation attenuation uh, drape. Uh, we didn't have that at the time. And um, the benefit of that is that it's disposable, it's uh, sterile, so you can put it on the patient's a small square. And then depending on the geometry and where you place it, you can cut off your radiation exposure significantly. And you throw it in the trash after. So I came up with a proposal. I uh, and talked to different vendors and I looked at the science and looked at the studies and I also did a real-time study. So I brought the different vendors and I used the different uh, shields on the market and I had I worked with physics to uh, measure the different dosage. So I, uh, I wore a, a dosiometer for my cases and I used a group with and a group without the drape um, with the full uh, uh, shield, side shields and everything else. So this is in addition. And... Um, also, our physics department did direct beam testing in a separate area in addition. And we found that there is one shield that's the best, and it's a two-metal um, radiation shield that has bithmus and antimony, so something to block high KVP and something to block low KVP radiation. So in patients uh, who are you know larger in size and the, the equipment revs up, you can still protect yourself. And in, in smaller patients or in different uh, settings where the penetration doesn't need to be as high, you can still protect yourself as well. Uh, so I did that and we found, I found that uh, there is at least 85% reduction in dose by putting a small shield, disposable shield on the drape in the right position. And I was like, this is a huge win for us. So I went through my institution and our uh, department, our section was very supportive. And I went to the value analysis team and they it's a multidisciplinary committee, and they evaluated it. They found that this is a huge benefit. And in fact, uh, it's become available not just to me, but cardiology, the cath lab, the AP lab, the um, uh, even the labor and delivery. They wanted it for some of the limited uh, fluoro-guided procedures they do. So it affected our entire uh, enterprise, and we're a huge place. So I, I thought this was a huge positive win for radiation safety. So, you I, know, uh, Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea it was that much of a dose reduction for using those drapes. Yeah, 85%. In my study, it was 80 to 85%. And you just you open a drape, it takes two seconds, you put it on the patient, and it's a huge win. You just have to know where to place it and, and come with the geometry, which is not hard to do. But if you optimize right. everything, you should get your lows very low, which, very low, which is great. 
Man, well, I hope you'll be publishing that stuff because if I'm an example, and I think a lot of people don't know that it, you know you can create that much of a dose reduction from something that simple. Yeah, I actually uh, I'm working with our physics department um, to uh, formalize that in a study. So I'm hopefully will be publishing this uh, in the in the short term. Absolutely. Um, did you have any challenges, kind of you know? Uh, spreading your initiatives, you know, throughout your department or throughout the hospital. I mean, it's kind of hard to enact, you know, these system-wide changes uh, across different departments when, you know, a lot of radiation protection initiatives like fall on the individual operator. You know, I did have, um, you know, one of the hardest things that you change in life is culture change. Culture change is very hard because people have been doing some something in one way for a very long time and they have no effects and you can't measure the effects right away. Uh, and you don't see the harmful effects because they're invisible and odorless and tasteless like we talked about. And some of the, uh, you know, setting up radiation shields and things like that can take just a little bit of an effort. And there's some cost to some of these things. But, um, you know, once you explain to people and educate them about the risks and the benefits and how this is, this is an occupational safety issue. This is a win-win-win situation uh, in my mind because it's a win for the staff. It's a win for the physicians. It's a win for the patient. And um, the, the benefits are huge comparing to uh, the risks or the negatives, which are minimal. Um, and actually, from a financial uh, sense also, it makes a lot of sense to, invent, to invest in your occupational safety because if, you, if, if your staff gets you know, health issues or turnover or things like that, you actually, it, it's net, it costs you more in the long term. Sure. Um, and there's actually a, a statement that was published by, um, I'll find it for you here in a second, um, by the uh, SCAI, uh, the Multi-Society Position Statement, and it's in October 2019. So this is a cardiology uh, a statement. And they mentioned exactly what I said, which is that uh, this is not just good patient care. This is good business. So, um, you know, I, I think once you look at it objectively and you look at the benefits and, and what the perceived costs are, you will find that this is a huge win for very little uh, uh, negatives. Uh, just one more thing I want to ask you. You, you had talked about um, with the drapes. Uh, figuring out where to put them. How do you determine the spot to place these? And are there any other issues with these uh, that you've noticed in your experience? So, I mean, the biggest thing that you need to be aware of is to make sure that the drape doesn't, uh, you know, inadvertently become in the field of view. Because if the if the if the drape, uh, the edge of the drape, you know, comes directly through the beam, the machine is going to rev up the the radiation and the technique, so that you don't want that. So. Um, you, the drip should be close to you on the patient. And if you're using a child shield, let's say you're doing a, a groin access case, you use a child, uh, a, a, um, a side shield. Um, you put that directly kind of 90 degrees perpendicular to the patient. And then you put the drape, you know, get your access first. And then you put that, and then you put the drape right in, below that between these two effects, your dose is very minimal. So, um, it's not very hard. Actually, there's a lot of good diagrams and it, it's not, the learning curve is minimal. I mean, I, you know, I really don't have much else. I think we've hit a lot of the big points. Is there anything else that uh, I didn't ask you that you'd like to cover? 
What I want to you know, tell our audience here is that occupational uh, radiation safety is critical for many reasons, as we uh, mentioned today, and it not only protects our staff and physicians, but also our patients, and it ensures that our patients receive the best uh, possible care. Now, I know there's a lot of challenges like hardware costs, buy-in of institutional stakeholders, training staff, um, you know, heavy weight of shielding sometimes, time to set up. And these things do exist, but I think uh, education and awareness of the significant health risks and the benefits of uh, appropriate protection and good habits and having a culture of safety and making that part of every case yeah, and even research efforts can overcome any barrier, in my opinion. Uh, you know, the risks are real. The benefits are real. And um, radiation safety is both an occupational safety issue and a patient care issue. And it's not a luxury and, and chronic low-dose radiation does matter. Thank you, Rena. And, and, you know, this has been very eye-opening. And, uh, you know, I know that there are many out there who are grateful for your, you know, continued productivity. And we look forward to what else you have to come, you know, both in the topic of radiation protection and, and everything else. Um, thank you for joining us on here today, Mina. Thank you so much, Mike. And, and thank you for Backtable and for, for this opportunity. And, um, um, and and uh, I'm very grateful for, for this uh, venue. And uh, uh, I'm very happy if any if audience or anybody wants to reach out to me or have any questions or if there's anything I can do to help uh, anytime, uh, feel free to reach out to me and my contact information will be with you as well. Perfect. And I'd also like to thank RadPad, our uh, sponsor for today's episode, uh, and remind listeners to visit radpad.com for more information or contact info at radpad.com to receive a no-brainer radiation protection cap. Thanks again, Mina, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon, I hope.